0: Green Bay Blog Talk Radio. The Green Bay Packers have won five world championships in the last eight years. Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. In our business, there is no second place. Either your first or your last. The big word in professional football is execution. All players succeed on the blackboard, but men make them work. It's very important. But if you have not reached the pass, or if you can't get them. Get your hands up! Hey, supposed to be a hell of a defensive club, but
1: it didn't look like it to me. Oh God!
0: Hey, get him out of there! Where? Hey, what about that now? He had him on the hey! He had him on the shirt! He had him by the shoulder He didn't have him by the neck! What the hell's going on out here? Hit the fence! the fence! you something, Leroy, you're not going to get your job back unless we get a better performance. The men who wanted to stay, they're still here. And let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town for football. And SportsBeat Radio. This is SportsBeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener. And with that said, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question, ego-filled show. We like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll we'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sportsbeat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host, John Spillers. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this last week of September, the 25th day of September, Monday, 20. 23 and thanks so much for joining us on yet another segment of sports beat radio talking sports and you know this is my thousandth and three show done over a thousand shows since 2016 when we first came on the air and although I've talked about them I've revered them uh, I've uh, accoladed them uh, I've legendaryized him, if that's a word. I never really did a show before on the show that we're doing now, and that's, of course, the great Vince, Vincent Lombardi. And that's what our show is today. The man, the coach, and, of course, the legend. He is the uh, epitome of what coaching should be. And, you know, we... Uh, Kind of revere certain coaches today, Bill Belichick. Uh, You know, we talked about Paul Brown, who won a lot of his championships in the old uh, American League back in the 40s with the Cleveland Browns, Uh, another stellar coach. You know, we talk about Sid Gilman and some of the underrated coaches that were, you know, really in the American Football League that never really got credit for being – what they would become but Vince Lombardi somehow you know he kind of permeates through the caverns of our brain whenever we mention his name and even you know the majority of Americans today are young they don't even i mean they know what he looks like but they certainly didn't see him coach unfortunately died in 19, uh, in at 57 i think he was back in 1970 and to me, and I've always said it, coaches are products of their players. You know, great coaches have great players. Players make the coach, and people will argue that point. But if you really stop and think, you know, what great coach had not-so-good players and won championships? And yet there, there was one, and that was Vince Lombardi. Uh, and I think the the interesting thing about Lombardi, and you heard the sound bites, I forgot to mention courtesy of NFL films, uh, you know the the famous what the hell's going on out there? Uh, you know he was a tyrant on the uh, an autocrat on the on the field, but a lot of the players uh, felt that he was fatherly like off the field. But this was a guy who uh, came up the ranks like most coaches do. Uh, He was with Tom Landry, those of you who remember, uh, as one of the coordinators of the New York Giants, and then, of course, they would face each other professionally again as the head coaches of both the Dallas Cowboys. We remember that memorable game, the Ice Bowl uh, in Green Bay, minus 34 degrees, and, of course, Lombardi coaching uh, what would become an iconic play as Starr goes across on a Jerry Kramer block. And the Dallas Cowboys once again uh, feel the wrath of losing two straight years to the Green Bay Packers. But Lombardi took a team, he would be named the head coach, and he took a one-win team in fifty eight. He came there in 1958, and this was a Packer team that really was a bunch of what they call lollygaggers. They just kind of, you know, went through the motions, they goofed around in practice, not realizing the kind of tyrant that they were going to face in Vince Lombardi. And uh, when he came in, he cleaned house, and he put together, much like Chuck Knoll did back in the late 60s when the Steelers were kind of a laughingstock, when he started with uh, a quarterback from Louisiana Tech named Terry Bradshaw and built really one of the great, great uh, dynasties in professional football. They may not have been a dynasty like the Packers, but that Chuck Knoll team, and I think Chuck Nolls another coach that didn't really get the accolades that he should. Of course, uh, he goes into my mold by having great players that made him a great coach. There was no question. But still, Lombardi knew how to draft. He was the general manager of the Green Bay Packers as well as the coach. And he gets rid of all of the deadwood... The following year, they go from one win to seven uh, wins. And then two years later, in 1960, Lombardi takes his Packers to Philadelphia's Franklin Field to to face the Philadelphia Eagles in the 1960 championship game uh, right around Christmas of 1960. And in the waning moments, the Packers were still in the game, but didn't have enough to really beat the Eagles and Chuck Bednarik. And every time I go to Franklin Field, it's still there. You know, it's the home of uh, the Penn Quakers, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, I still kind of look down at the field and look at the area where Lombardi was and where all those fans were some 60 years ago, uh, you know, watching what would become, and little did they know, uh, this was before they had the Gs on their helmets, uh, this would become a dynasty. Five championships and two Super Bowls. And after the loss, you know, Lombardi had so many great quotes, so many great uh, accolades verbally. And one of them was maybe not as memorable, but in the locker room, in the Green Bay Packer locker room, after that loss, he looked at his troops and he said, gentlemen, I want your attention. I want to tell you this. What happened out there today will never happen Again, and what he was alluding to was the fact that his Packers would not lose another championship game or any playoff game, and having the crystal ball of football in front of them, uh, that came to fruition as the Green Bay Packers would go on to become the '60s dynasty, and certainly one of the great teams of all time, winning, uh, you know, numerous National Football League championships, and then of course the Super Bowl. Uh, In 1967 and 68, when they would beat the Oakland Raiders, uh, he would put together a cast of characters that, you know, really were not superstars. Bart Starr was kind of a floundering quarterback. And Lombardi takes him, and under his tutelage, he becomes not only a two-time MVP in the first two Super Bowls, although I thought Max McGee should have been probably the uh, MVP of the first Super Bowl, but nonetheless, uh, Starr became not only an MVP quarterback, but he became a Hall of Famer. He knew how to build the offensive line with Fred Thurston, better known as Fuzzy Thurston, and Jerry Kramer, two guards that would pull and block for the LSU man, Jim Taylor, another great player. On the defense, Willie Davis, Herb Adderley, uh, Rob Long on the offensive line, centering the ball. So, you know, it was, a, uh, it, it was a team that Lombardi looked at as a roster of men and not stars. I don't think Lombardi thought about Bart Starr, excuse the pun, being a star. Or later on, Lonnie Anderson, Donnie Anderson coming out of uh, Texas Tech, being a star, or Carol Dale, or uh, Boyd Dowler becoming stars. But they, they were a lunch pail group that knew how to win under uh, an autocrat, under a tyrant, so to speak. And Lombardi instilled what I think a lot of coaches don't do today, and that is he instilled pride in his men. Many of the Packers became uh, influential businessmen, uh, for instance, the, one of the heroes of Super Bowl I, Max McGee, owned Chi-Chi's Restaurants. Jerry Kramer, the uh, great guard, pulling guard, became a published author. And, you know, you look at Jerry Kramer, he came out of the University of Idaho. I mean, how many Idaho University players get to the NFL? And when you look at Lombardi... I spoke with Alex Wojohowicz back in the 90s when I interviewed him. Uh, Alex was a Hall of Fame center, one of the great centers to play the position in the NFL with the Detroit Lions as well as the Philadelphia Eagles. But he was a member of the Seven Blocks of Granite, which was the uh, powerhouse team of the Fordham Rams back in the 30s and early 40s when they were a terrific football team, and they called that offensive line, one of the great offensive lines of all time, the Seven Blocks of Granite. And if you visit Fordham University, which is a Catholic-affiliated university, I believe taught by the Jesuits, you will see that uh, monument there on campus uh, outlining the names of the Seven Blocks of Granite. One of them, of course, was Bo Jehowitz, and another one was Vince Lombardi. He was on that line, that memorable line. And Roger Howitz told me that Lombardi was really a renaissance man, more than just a football coach. Everything he did, he did well. You know, we we always have met somebody like that in our lives. They can just do everything well. Things just fall into their laps. Lombardi was not just a great coach. He coached basketball at St. Cecilia's up in Englewood, New Jersey. He was from New Jersey. He coached football, he taught uh, physics and chemistry and calculus, and Wojciechowicz said we thought he was going to become the next Italian pope, or the president. That's how brilliant he was. Wojciechowicz said he wasn't really a great football player, he was probably a mediocre player, but nobody worked harder, nobody knew the work ethic and the determination and the grit it takes to get to where you want to be, like Vince Lombardi. And that's why the Packers won the way they did. He was like a father figure to them. He was hated, but he was loved. And those players in the 60s would have done anything for Vince Lombardi. Even Paul Horning and Max McGee, who were two partiers who were constantly uh, sneaking out of... uh, The uh, hotels, the party—there was anything that they wouldn't do for Lombardi, and no one had a bad word about him. At the end of the season, Lombardi would gather each player individually in his office in Green Bay, and the players, as I mentioned in previous shows, would kind of put together a speech as to, you know, how good they were and then, you know, could they get a raise, possible raise. In those days, you know, $500, $1,500 was a lot of money to get a raise. And so they would uh, kind of belch up the courage, so to speak, to Lombardi, look him in the eye. And Lombardi had a book in front of him that his coaching staff basically put together, he had them do it, of every uh, negative that the player did. And he would mention, you know, you fumbled uh, in this game, you missed three tackles, Uh, you didn't run this play, you didn't do that. And then he would look at his player, stand up, shake his hand, tell him he was a hell of a man, he admired all of his players, and he would give them a $500 raise or a $1,000 raise, or less, depending upon, and every... Uh, wife and girlfriend of every player got a fur, fur coat. That's the kind of disciplinarian he was. He, he was a uh, an autocrat. He was a totalitarian. Uh, he was a dictator, so to speak, on the field. The players feared him. And in those days, of course, of coaching, it was much different than it is today. Uh, he could cut you right on the spot and you'd have to take a bus back to Green Bay. And the players feared him. They knew what he was capable of. He was also, as I said, the general manager. For those of you who are interested in the New Jersey area, uh, Lombardi is actually buried in New Jersey uh, at Mount Olivet Cemetery in Middletown, New Jersey. And you can go on the Mount Olivet uh, website and find his plot. I've been there several times. Every time you go... Uh, it's a simple headstone, pretty headstone, very nice. His wife, Marie, is buried next to him. And every time you go there, there's some kind of coach that's there. Uh, I've never gone there where there wasn't somebody there. And I wait my turn, and there's Green Bay little mini helmets on top of the uh, tombstone, and there's poems that people write and little trinkets of Green Bay, you know, the, the, the green and gold, green and yellow. That's how much he's admired some 50 years after his death. And, of course, the NFL uh, gives him tribute by naming the championship uh, trophy the Vince Lombardi Trophy. And so he will probably always live in the memories and hearts of football fans. Vincent Thomas Lombardi. He was born in 1913. And he's considered to be the greatest coach in American football history. He's recognized as one of the greatest coaches and leaders in the history of all American sports. He's best known, of course, to the head coach of the Packers during the 60s, where he led the team to three straight and five total NFL championships in seven years, in addition to winning the first two Super Bowls. He began his coaching career at St. Cecilia High School, which I mentioned earlier, Englewood. He was an assistant coach at Fordham where he coached with Jim Lansing. He also coached for Army and the Giants before becoming head coach of the Green Bay Packers from 59 to 67, and the Washington Redskins in 69. He never had a losing season as head coach in the NFL, compiling a regular season winning record percentage of 73.8%, 96-34-6, and and 90%, 9-1 in the postseason, for an overall record of 105 wins, 35 losses, and 6 ties. And, of course, after his sudden death from colon cancer in 1970, he was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And the NFL Super Bowl trophy was named after him. He was born in the neighborhood of Brooklyn. And his father had a barber shop there in Sheepshead Bay. Uh, church attendance was mandatory. One of the great things about Lombardi is there was nothing phony about him. He told all of his players, number one, your faith in God. He was a very, very staunch uh, Roman Catholic. Number two, your belief and honor to family. And number three, your devotion and hard work and dedication to the sport of football. He would say that it's a great to be in. It's honorable, it's lofty, and you should be proud to be part of it. And Lombardi would go as far, because of faith, where he was very deeply uh, religious in the Catholic faith, he would, uh, on the road, find places of worship for his players to go on the road, including the Jewish Uh, Temples and so forth for his Jewish players And he would insist that all of his players Go to mass or temple Or church service He said his devotion to God Is the utmost uh, That a human being uh, can enhance And he made it a point To talk about it with many of his players And of course you know Being the upbringing Uh, mandatory for the Lombardis on Sundays. Mass would be followed with equally compulsive few hours of dinner with extended family members, friends, local clergy. And Lombardi himself was an altar boy at St. Mark's Catholic Church. That was in Sheepshead Bay, still there. Outside their local neighborhood, the Lombardi kids were subject to a rampant ethnic discrimination that existed at the time against Italian immigrants and their descendants. And as a child, Lombardi helped his father at his... uh, Business, but grew to hate it. That was a meat cutting business. They were also involved in the uh, hair cutting business. And at the age of 12, he started playing in an uncoached but organized football league in Sheepshead Bay. So after high school, Fordham University received a football scholarship in the Bronx to play for the Rams and coach Jim Crowley, who's one of the four horsemen of Notre Dame in the 20s. During his freshman year, Lombardi proved to be an aggressive and spirited player on the football field. Prior to the beginning of his sophomore year, Lombardi was projected to start games at the tackle position. He was only 5'8", about 180 pounds, and was classified as undersized. In his senior year, 36, he was the right guard in the seven blocks of Granite, which we talked about earlier, nickname given by Fordham University publicist to the Fordham University football team's offensive front line. In a game against Pitt, he suffered a severe gash inside his mouth and had several teeth knocked out, and he missed most of the remainder of the game until he was called in on defense for a successful goal line stand that preserved the scoreless tie. And the Rams were 5-0-2 then before losing in the final game of the season, 7-6 to NYU. The loss destroyed all hopes of Fordham playing in the Rose Bowl, and taught Lombardi a lesson he would never forget. Never underestimate your opponents. And then, of course, the coaching at St. Cecilia, where he would marry his girlfriend in 39, Marie Planets. And in 47... Lombardi became the coach of freshman teams in football and basketball at his alma mater, Fordham University. The following year, he was assistant coach for the varsity football team under head coach Ed Donowski. Then he was at West Point, the military academy, with Earl Blake, who was a very well-known coach in the uh, 40s and 50s. Blake's emphasis on execution became a trademark of Lombardi's coaching style. Lombardi coached at the West Point for five seasons with varying results, and 49 and 50 seasons were successful. But in 51 and 52 were not due to the aftermath of a cadet cribbing scandal, a violation of cadet honor code, which was revealed in spring of 1951. By order of the superintendent, 43 of the 45 members of the varsity football team were discharged from the academy as a result of the scandal. Decades later, looking back on the rise, Lombardi came to regard Blake's decision not to resign as a pivotal moment in his own career. It taught him perseverance, and after the 51 and 52 seasons, not much was expected from the 53 team, as It also lost six players due to academic failure. And the 53 team, however, did achieve a 7-1-1 record as Lombardi had a bigger role than ever in the coaching of the team. And then following those five seasons, he accepted an assistant coaching position with the New York Giants. So in 58-59, he becomes a Packer, and basically we know the rest. Unfortunately uh, for Vince Lombardi, uh, they did have a preventative – uh, test for colon cancer in those days. People wonder, you know, why, uh, he passed from that. And Lombardi was stubborn, as, as great as he was and as smart as he was. He said, nobody's going to stick any probes up my ass. That's what he said. And as a result, uh, he was having some problems, uh, with that area. And as a result, uh, succumbed to colon cancer as he would become, uh, resigning the head coach position on February 1st, 1968. He continued as general manager, and he handed the head coaching uh, position to his uh, assistant, Phil Bankston, longtime assistant. But the Packers finished 6-7-1 in the 68 season, were out of the 14 playoffs. So he becomes the head coach and general manager of the Skins. The Redskins finished 7-5-2, their first winning season since 55. And then, of course, he died during the 70 preseason. But he was credited with having truly changed the culture in that one unforgettable season in 69, laying the foundation for Washington's early 70s success under another future Hall of Famer, George Allen, the Redskins' next coach. So, you know, it was interesting with Lombardi. Uh, he also designed, for those of you who didn't know, the Redskins' yellow helmet, the one with the R on it with feathers. He designed that helmet uh, kind of in a, uh, a copy of what Green Bay had with the G on their helmet. That was his design. And I think, really, when Lombardi, a lot of people wonder, you know, you won five championships and two Super Bowls, why are you leaving? Uh, the Packers were, are kind of like the present-day Giants. they were always a closed-mouth uh, closed organization. The NFL was very conservative. And I think that's why the AFL was so popular, because it wasn't. Uh, they were close-lipped. Lombardi didn't really come out and, you know, uh, pat himself on the back. or, uh, You know, he, he I think he saw the Packers getting old. And by that second Super Bowl, uh, a lot of those Packers were in their 30s. I think he saw the writing on the wall and saw in Sonny Jurgensen, who was, a, in my view, a great quarterback, very underrated, Uh, Charlie Taylor and some of those other players, he saw the uh, situation there, which might be very much like what he had in Green Bay. And, of course, his uh, imprint on the Washington Redskins uh, were the reason that George Allen was able to win. It would have been interesting to see how Lombardi would have fared with the Redskins. And I think that, that Packer team... Uh, probably, in Lombardi's eyes, went as far as it could go. And he realized the writing was on the wall. I think that was really the main reason, probably, why he left, because he could have been there forever. He could have been there for life. Kind of like Belichick. Even though Belichick hasn't had winning seasons, he's still iconic in the New England area. So, you know, you look at this great coach, and really the legacy of him is winning he had some of the most eloquent quotes of all time talking about it wasn't a dishonor when you fell but how you reacted upon getting up after a loss he couldn't tolerate inconsistency he couldn't tolerate failure he couldn't tolerate losing And I think when you look back at uh, this great coach, um, I'm very honored to be able to have seen him coach. I was at the first Super Bowl. We did a show uh, a couple of months ago about my visit to the first Super Bowl in 1967 where I actually saw Lombardi in the flesh. Not a very big guy, but uh, pretty big in stature. And so no matter who today achieves great accolades, Phil Jackson or, uh, you know, uh, any of these great coaches that have won championships, I don't think any of them still compare to what Vince Lombardi was able to do. You know, Phil Jackson took a team of stars. In Chicago and Scotty and he had Shaq and Kobe, and Magic. So who couldn't win? But Lombardi took a team that was failed team that was a laughingstock, like the Steelers were back in the 60s when Chuck Knoll took over and built them into a powerhouse. And I think of all the great coaches uh, that, past and present, Vince Lombardi, of course, being amongst the greatest of all time. So I think that, uh, you know, great accolades for a great man, a great coach, and a great legend. Well, now we're about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on this segment of Sports Beat Radio Talk and Sports, talking about Vince, Vincent T. Lombardi, one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach, of all time in any sport. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions. Thanks so much for joining us once again on our uh, presentation of Vince Lombardi. Last night, if you missed it, the Steelers beat the uh, Vegas. Raiders and they also had an emergency landing. Their plane uh, had some oil pressure problems. They had to land in Kansas City. Everybody's okay. Apparently they're going to be back in Pittsburgh some today. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions at Sports Beat Radio and until next time, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us everybody. We'll talk to you soon.